Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, starting with the NFL. Now, you knew it was going to be a weird week. A really weird week in the NFL when the Cleveland Browns started things off with a win on Thursday night. Now, you snap that streak, and you do it the way they did it, with a rookie leading a comeback win, and you know things are getting weird. Weird is good, but when you see how they did it, you knew things would be really weird, and they were, starting with Tennessee over Jacksonville, 9-6. to Now, that's not the weirdest thing ever, not when you consider that the Titans did beat the Jags twice last season, but you know Jacksonville wanted to change that and still was not able to do so. The last thing that I expected was to see Jacksonville come out as flat as they did yesterday after hammering the Patriots last weekend. Then again, after last night, we now know that a win over the Patriots is not worth nearly as much as it used to be because the Pats themselves sure as hell aren't what they used to be. And how about the the Chicago Bears in first in the NFC North and being a legitimate force through three weeks? Now that's weird. Really weird. The Dolphins being 3-0 and holding a two-game lead in the AFC is even more bizarre especially when you consider that they lost their best offensive weapon, Jarvis Landry, and Indomitian Sioux in the offseason. So Trevor Price and I do this on RPO, where I ask the question, fake or real? Fake or real? The Dolphins, 3-0, are they fake or real? We'll get to that a little bit later on, but if they are what their record says they are, then they are undefeated. One of the only two teams in the AFC that are unbeaten. At least we can count on this. At least we can count on the Dallas Cowboys struggling. At least we can count on the Raiders choking away another second-half lead. And by the way, that's three times now in a row they've done that. Three weeks in a row, the Raiders have blown a second-half lead. Isn't that why you bring John Gruden in? Isn't that why you pay John Gruden 10 mil a year for 10 years? Not 10 million for 10 years, 10 mil a year for 10 years. Don't you pay that guy to make sure that sort of thing does not happen, as opposed to it happening every single week. And as crazy as the Titans, the Bears, the Dolphins are, they are still nothing compared to the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo freaking Bills, 17-point dogs on the road, starting a rookie QB without any offensive line in front of him and really no weapons around him to speak of, and they're going up against one of the best defenses in the NFL. Never mind winning. You just hope to hell your franchise quarterback does not leave that building in a body bag. You do that, and it's a good day. But come on, nobody in or outside of Buffalo actually expected the Bills to win that game. And not only did they win that game, they curb-stomped the Vikes, who obviously were sleeping on them, looking beyond them, did not respect them. And they smashed just about every single Survivor League in the process. Taking the Vikings yesterday in your Survivor League was like ripping candy from a baby, except that baby just broke your face. It'd be like you reaching into the, uh, the stroller. Just trying to take candy from that baby and that baby clocking you. I mean, are you kidding me about the Bills? 17-point dogs on the road, and they still get it done. And not only got it done, but how they got it done. And they did it with Josh Allen. And the Bills, afterwards, were reportedly talking junk, shouting, You like that? You like that? You like that? You like that? The Bills, of all teams, walking off the field screaming, You like that? You like like that? that? You like that? 
I know Kirk Cousins did not like that. I know Mike Zimmer did not like that. Because if Zimmer held himself to the same standard as he did the kicker that he broke off last week, Zim would be looking for a new gig right about now. But even the Bills pulling off the biggest Vegas upset in more than two decades is not as shocking as what I saw last night in Detroit. Lions 26, Patriots 10. It shouts, that was not super. Let me repeat that. Matt Patricia and the Detroit Lions 26. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the Patriots 10. I've got one question. What the hell is with the Patriots? They just lost to a team that got booed out of its own stadium less than two weeks ago. And they didn't lose. They got hammered, manhandled, ragdolled, dominated, just like they were last week against Jacksonville. Right now, the Pats' only win this season is over winless Houston. How bad was it? They started the game with three straight three and outs for the first time since 2000. Maybe longer because the NFL Network's data only goes back to 2000. So let me ask you once again, how bad was that? How bad was it? The Patriots just lost back-to-back games by double digits for the first time since 02. There are teens getting driver's licenses who've never seen the Patriots lose back-to-back games by double digits until last night. And no, that was not about the Pats being distracted by the reports of the Gronk to Detroit, a trade that nearly happened in the offseason. That was not that. No, what that was, was one team beating up another team. And this time, it was the Patriots eating punches. The Lions, the Detroit Lions, had three drives of nine plays or more. The same Detroit Lions who were being booed in an embarrassing loss to the Jets and came into last night 0-2. And then last night, they did whatever the hell they wanted to to the Patriots, whenever they wanted to. I always like to quote my guy, Pat Tillman, in matters such as these. As Pat liked to say, in a matter such as that, that was, quote, a nice, swift ass-kicking. Nice, swift ass-kicking. The late Pat Tillman. I mean, I never thought that Matt Patricia, for instance, was an actual rocket scientist. That is, until I saw the Pat's defense without him. Because Detroit, a team that came into the game, ranked 30th in the league in running the ball, ran it right down New England's throat. And just as troubling for the Pats was that when they tried to run the ball themselves, they couldn't. Again, not exactly super. And when they tried to pass, they couldn't do that either. Alvy, dude, don't make that face at me. Just play it again. It's going to be super. See? See, Alvin, it's fine. You should have seen the look that guy just gave me. He, Alvin, if you're watching on CBS Sports Network, Alvin just looked at me like this. Gave me that kind of sideways Alvin face. Super! Look, it's going to be super. It's going to be super. Tom Brady was not the GOAT, nor was he super. Brady, 14 for 26, 133 yards and a TD. That's the GOAT. The Gronk, four receptions, 51 yards. Better than he was against Jacksonville, but not by much. Their offense is not exactly firing on all cylinders right now. In fact, it's pretty non-existent. You've got a Hall of Fame quarterback, Hall of Fame tight end, and somehow they still have a brutal offense. Now, don't get it twisted. This is not about Brady being old. It's about the talent 
not being around him on offense. And what talent they do have is not doing anything at all. And sure, Julian Edelman's going to help. He'll help, but it's not going to fix everything. We'll see how much it helps. It'll help. It'll help when he comes off suspension. I would imagine Josh Gordon will help when he's available. Gordon can stretch the field. He can loosen up coverage on Gronk. Maybe get the Pats offense back on track. But, but, unless Gordon can also put a hand in the dirt and rush the passer, that is not going to solve all their problems. At least, though, you can count on Bill Belichick being especially mellow afterwards, especially when he was asked about that 12-man on the field penalty. Having a 12-man on the field um, in the second quarter, how did that happen? It was a mistake. Do you think it was planned? <laughs> Fire! It was a mistake. Do you think it was planned? Hey, Hood, if it had been planned, it would have been your only plan that did work last night. It was a mistake. Do you think it was planned? Do you think it was planned? It's good stuff, Hood. If it was the plan, it was the only plan that worked. Hey, listen. Chouts, I understand that people have rushed to throw dirt on the Patriots dynasty in the past. And everybody who's done that has been burned and they've been wrong every single time. I'm not doing that just yet. I'm not here to do that. Even with the Pats at one and two, already in the hole in the AFC East, it's not time to panic. But you can see that that time is not that far off. You can see that time coming. And believe this, I know exactly where my shovel is because I've never been so convinced or so close to saying that there is going to be a Patriots funeral right around the corner. I've already got their plot picked out. I mean, better safe than sorry, right? And right now they look sorry. Sorry as hell. Not a good thing right now. So they're one and two. Good news is they're only looking up at Miami. Are you sold on the Dolphins yet? I came in this morning well-rested after an amazing weekend of sleep on my Casper mattress. Switching to Casper is a no-brainer. It's a high-quality mattress at an affordable price. I'm sleeping cool and comfortably every single night thanks to the unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and alignment. And Casper... And Casper ships right to your door for free in a small, how did they do that, size box. They'll even pick it up if you don't love it, and they'll refund you everything. From its engineering to its packaging to letting you try it for 100 nights, it is no wonder that Casper has over 35,000 five-star reviews of all their products across Casper, Google, and Amazon. Sleeping on a mattress is the best way to try one. Put Casper to the test in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Rome50. Use the code Rome50 and get $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. Again, casper.com slash Rome50. Use the code Rome50 and get 50 bucks off towards the purchase of select mattresses. Casper.com. Terms and conditions do apply. <laughs> Bill's Mafia, how you living? What an amazing deal. 17-point dogs on the road with Josh Allen. And look what they did. Raiders, 0-3. Raider fan, I'm not going to sit here and say that your season's already over at 0-3. In fact, yes, I will. Your season is already over at 0-3. The stats bear that out. If you start 0-3, you don't make the postseason. We know this. But especially when you can't hold a lead. I want to talk more about the roughing the passer penalty. The rule. Clay Matthews gets burned again. Every single week, he makes a less, I don't know, flagrant, violent, 
offensive, whatever you want to call it, blatant. And he gets called every single week. Hey, Rome, I am not panicking. This is an email. I am not panicking. I am not panicking. I am not panicking. I do not care if Patriots fans woke up this morning and realized going into week four that the Cleveland Browns have a better record than the New England Patriots. The first four weeks of Patriots seasons are always extended preseason. The only stupid part about being one and two and looking at playing a 3-0 Dolphins team next week is that we have to listen to the rest of the league pile on like always, thinking that the Patriots dynasty is done. Just do me a favor and talk Tiger all day long so we do not have to listen to fans of loser franchises talking about how the Patriots are done. Matt in Poland Springs. And then he's got a bunch of unwars. Isn't that funny? He, he did exactly what I said they would do. And that is pretty much what Patriot fan always says. We always start like this. It never matters. We don't care about September. It's an extended preseason. We'll be fine. And the truth is, generally, they are fine. Generally, Patriot fan is right. Except I think it's different this time. Ross Tucker, NFL. Ross, great to have you back. How are you? Jim, fantastic. Always good to talk with you, man. Yesterday was crazy. Crazy. It's awesome. We love team content. So, Ross, let me ask you this. If the Jets smash the Lions in week one, and then the Lions manhandled the Patriots last night, what does that say about the Patriots? <laughs> I, you, you, can't, you can't do the transitive property. I know what you're getting at, and I know you know that in the NFL because it just doesn't work that way. It tells you that... Week one, the Jets had the Lions number, and they were still figuring some things out. And really, I thought last night, you don't often say this, Jim, I thought Matt Patricia outcoached Bill Belichick. You know, on the one hand, he knew that Gronk was pretty much all Brady had offensively, so he doubled the crap out of Gronk, and the other guys weren't able to win. And then on offense, Patricia knew that the Lions have been well-documented. They can never run the ball, right? They hadn't had a 100-yard rusher since Reggie Bush like five years ago or something. But they do have some pretty good receivers in Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. So Patricia knew, Jim, that Belichick would be in a two-deep safety look to not get beat over the top. And he said, you know what? Let's just keep running it then. It's a favorable look. We should be able to run. I got some belief in my O-line. We'll run it, and we'll play keep away from Brady. So – they just took what the Patriots gave them. They pounded it and ground on the ground. Stafford did just enough. Brady was barely ever even on the field, and it was domination. It's, it's not often one of Belichick's protégés is able to outthink him, but he did in part because the, the Patriots are a little outmanned right now until Edelman comes back. Spoken like the Ivy Leaguer that you are, Ross. All right, so in terms of that, are they a little bit outmanned until Edelman comes back? I mean, for instance, people have shoveled dirt on the dynasty in New England multiple times over the years, but exactly where are they right now as a team? I mean, are you confident that Belichick is going to make this work at some point, or are the Patriots actually in trouble? I'll believe that they're not in the AFC Championship game when I see it. I mean, they've been in the, what is it, seven or eight straight years they've been in it. Once they get Edelman back, I don't even know if they'll get anything out of Josh Gordon, Jim, but once they get Edelman back, they always seemingly have slow Septembers. You know, if you're going to beat the Patriots, you want to play them in September. The Dolphins actually have a golden opportunity next Sunday because it's the last game without Edelman, and if they could somehow win in Foxborough, which I doubt they'll do, but you never know, they would be up three games on the Patriots and actually have a legit chance, especially the way 
the Dolphins are playing. But ultimately, I still expect them to win the division. If you look at the AFC, you know, if there were some really good teams in the AFC, you could say, well, maybe the Patriots won't get a one or a two seed. But I still think if you look at the different divisions, they'll still get a one or a two seed, which means they'll still be in the AFC championship game, and we'll see what happens then. Ross Tucker joining us once again. Right, Ross, as somebody who played in the NFL and has covered the NFL, exactly how do you explain the Buffalo Bills as 17-point dogs going into Minnesota and doing to the Vikings what they did to the Vikings? I explain it by saying that's what makes the NFL awesome. You know, it's really different, I feel like, Jim, than the other pro sports where you play every night or every other night. I don't ever remember, maybe with rare exception, going into an NFL game and thinking we were going to lose. Like, you know, you have a plan all week. I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You look at the opponent's tendencies. You see matchups that you like, things that you think you can exploit, and you feel good going into the game. And because of that, that's why the transitive property doesn't work. Certain matchups are just better. Sometimes some weeks you just have a better plan than they do. And you know what? They got a pretty darn good quarterback in Josh Allen. I, mean, I thought that LaShawn McCoy was the only good player the Bills had on offense, period. Yet Allen comes out, and he's crazy athletic for 6'6", 240, I mean, I don't know how long he's going to last trying to jump over 6'5 linebackers and dive for touchdowns from five yards out, but it's going to be really entertaining to watch in the meantime. And I think that they just got up on the Vikings. Their defense played very well. You know, in fact, their defense has played well since halftime of the Chargers game when Sean McDermott said, forget this, I'm taking over the defensive play calling. I know Leslie Frazier's my guy, but... Sorry, Leslie, I need to take the sticks. You know, I'm, I'm calling the plays now. And their defense has been much better ever since he did that. Ross, Tucker, my guest. Ross, you know the clones. I'm going to have to ask you to stop talking about the transit of property, man. It's going right over their heads. You know the clones <laughs> can't handle that. You know it, but it's a great point. Ross Tucker joining us. All right, you mentioned Josh Allen, and you wonder. I mean, this guy, he is so athletic for a guy his size, but you wonder how he can keep playing like that and last of course, that brings me to Jimmy Garoppolo, who looks like he tore his ACL yesterday. Ross, if he's done for the season, and it looks like he probably is, how bad is that for the 49ers rebuilding project and for Garoppolo's future? Well, it's awful. I mean, for Garoppolo's future, it, it, you know, think about how happy he is he's not playing this year on the franchise tag. Hmm. You know, when he got traded from New England to San Francisco last year, it was the last year of his contract. So if he hadn't played, think about this, Jim. If he hadn't played so well those last six games, he doesn't get that mega contract extension from the Niners. They probably take a little bit more of a wait-and-see approach if they went like 3-3, three and three, and he's playing on the franchise tag in which he plays, I don't know, okay for two and a half games and then tears his ACL. Instead, he got like $70 million guaranteed. So that was life-changing for his career, for his career, at least financially. As for the Niners, Jim, they're done. I mean, they got C.J. Beathard. They're done. And by the way, this is why they have all these rules protecting the quarterbacks in the first place. Nothing can be done about Garoppolo tearing his knee as he tries to scramble in a non-contact before he got blasted, by the way. But the owners know 
that last year nobody wanted to watch a Packers game after Aaron Rodgers got hurt because Brett Hundling was terrible. And now the 49ers have 13 more games and nobody wants to watch them. Like they have some primetime games. Nobody's tuning in for that. Watch, wait till you see what the stands are like for the home games the rest of the year for Niners home games. It's about business, Jim. I know you respect that. The NFL owners realize that they're going to get a lot of telephone calls. People are going to be up in arms. They don't like the new weight on the quarterback rule. But if the owners can find a way, any small way, to make quarterbacks a little bit healthier or to minimize the risk that those guys get hurt for the year, like what happened with Rodgers last year or Garoppolo yesterday, they're going to do it because there's nothing worse for business than backup quarterback. And Ross Tucker joining us. It is such a key point. It's such an interesting argument, Ross, because you're right. I mean, I don't dispute anything that you just said. There aren't enough star quarterbacks to go around, and you can't afford to have them go down like that. But at the same time, if you are a defensive player, if you're Clay Matthews, and if you get flagged for the hit that he had this past weekend, exactly what are you supposed to do as a defensive player? What could he have done differently in that situation? Well, I, I think in my mind, Jim, they should probably only call it when it's more egregious than that. In other words, they've made their point, right? Like, they don't want you putting your weight on the quarterback. So guys are already trying not to do what they used to. I mean, they used to just – they called it splashing. Right. Remember when Saragusa splashed Rich Gannon sure. in the AFC playoffs and Gannon's shoulder popped out? You know, they used to do that. Now they're saying, look, we don't want you to put your weight on it. Even Barr put a little extra something on Rodgers when he crunched him last year. I think if it's a normal tackle, you let it go. If it's clear the guy's trying to put all his weight on the guy, then you need to call it. I don't think they should call what Clay did. That said, these guys are really good at finding a way to not get fined. I mean, I didn't think guys would be able to adjust their target angle that quickly on hits to the head or neck of defenseless wide receivers over the middle, you, don't, you hardly ever even see that anymore. They've done such a better job with that. So they'll figure out a way, Jim. I mean, J.J. Watt had three sacks yesterday. He didn't get called for one. So somehow, some way, guys are going to have to adjust the way they attack the quarterback and more lasso them down than, you know, hit them as hard as they can up high. It's tough. It's not fair for the defensive players, but – this is a league that I've never seen them make a decision that was not in the best interest of the business. I've never seen them once. And they don't care if people call and are in an uproar. People aren't going to turn off because of that. They will turn off and not watch the game if Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Garoppolo and guys like that aren't playing. Ross Tucker joining us, former NFL guard. He is also an NFL analyst right now. Ross, last thought. I could have hit you with 10 more things. This is really a great conversation. I do want to ask you about Earl Thomas. He did not practice twice last week. He said yesterday, quote, I need to make sure my body is 100 and I'm invested in myself. If they were invested in me, I would be out there practicing. But if I feel like anything, I don't give a damn if it's small. I got a headache. I'm not practicing, end quote. I mean, that is such a strong statement. What's your reaction when you hear that? I I think it puts the Seahawks in a really, really tough position uh, because he also had two interceptions and was a big reason why they won the game. If I'm the Seahawks, I move on, Jim. I mean, this is too much now. They're not going anywhere this year anyway. I know they won the game yesterday, but they're not going anywhere this year, not in the NFC. If I can get a good trade offer, I'm moving on because the likelihood that he's going to re-sign there in the offseason 
is really, really small. And I think it risks, it puts your entire culture, if you're Pete Carroll, at risk. The entire culture of, hey, we go out there, we love practice, man. We chew gum, we go out to practice, we fly around, we have a blast. Here you got a guy saying, even if I have a headache, I'm not going out there. He said he expects to be fined. I would fine him the max amount. I'd maybe even consider suspending him a week for conduct detrimental. Then you don't have to pay him for that week. But really, the answer is you trade him. I mean, this has gotten ugly, and there's no reason to keep him there unless you thought you had a chance to make a Super Bowl run, and there's no chance they have a Super Bowl run. So for, I don't have any understanding as to why you would keep him. Get whatever you can get for him now and move on. Isn't it amazing, Ross, Like how far that team has fallen, what the culture used to be like? It used to be one of the best cultures in the NFL. And to your point, what was not to like? These guys would fly around, compete, and chew gum at practice. What's better than that? That Nothing, so and good. nobody chews more gum than Pete Carroll. Or, it's hilarious. Or chews it more aggressively and faster. Ross Tucker is a former NFL player. He spent seven years in the NFL. He has a great podcast, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, and you want to follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross, you killed it. Great to have you back, Ross. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. Anytime. You know that, man. If you were on my bookie this weekend, you had a chance to hit it big with Old Dominion. Trust me, they are the best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is very easy to navigate. Lay down some cash, win big right now. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. This is why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. And they have in-game live betting. The most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code Rome to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. Do not forget to use the promo code Rome when creating your account to get that bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so write it down. September 23rd, 2018. Write that down because that was the day that Eldrick Woods recorded his first win in more than five years, and it was big. I mean, not Tiger Woods winning a major, big, but it was big. Big, really big. How big? Like Lori Lachlan from Full House tweeting about it, big. She said, quote, welcome back, Tiger Woods. We've missed you. Congratulations. Hashtag Tiger Woods. Hashtag Tour Championship. Listen, when Uncle Jesse's gal is tweeting about you, you know you're killing the game. With respect, I do not remember DJ Tanner tweeting when Dustin Johnson won. I don't remember Jason Day getting any love from Kimmy Gibbler. It just goes to show you how big Tiger Woods is and what he still means, not just to golf, but to sports in general. It was like everywhere you look, everywhere you go, there's somebody tweeting about or talking about the cat. Now, normally, after a huge tournament win, I would talk about a couple of the key holes, the shots that made the difference. But that's the thing about yesterday. There weren't any of those. Because Eldrick did what Tiger used to do, turn a Saturday lead into a Sunday coronation. And he absolutely had to do it again yesterday. Let me tell you something. You come in with a three-shot lead. If that guy blows that, you can forget about Tiger ever winning anything ever again. Never mind a major. If that guy can't finish that, if that guy would have blown a three-shot lead, 
he would have shattered into a thousand pieces and would have never won Jack, would have never won anything, except that's not what happened. He dropped a birdie on one that gave him a four-shot lead over Rory and Justin Rose, and just like that, it was over. That was vintage Tiger. He broke Rose's spirit on Saturday with six birdies and seven holes, and then he broke Rory right out of the gate on Sunday. After opening with a birdie on one, Tiger didn't have another one until the back nine because he didn't need to. So a lot has changed in his life since he got win number 79, but win number 80 was the closest to what old Tiger used to be like. Taking a lead, holding it, and then choking out the rest of the field. And I know a bunch of you Tiger bros were probably sobbing into your red polos, fist pumping in your living rooms, screaming, get in the hole, while wiping away your tears. Good for you. Have yourself a day. Have a good time. Just don't come in here and tell me that you saw that coming. Don't try to come in here and tell me you knew all along that this day would come. Because nobody did. Not back in the day. Not during his darkest moments. Not when he was missing putts and missing cuts. Not when a withdrawal was as likely as a Sunday showing. Not when he was a mess of a player with a busted back and a serious case of the chip yips. Nick Faldo said it best when he tweeted, Many congrats to Tiger Woods. I was one of many who didn't see this happening again. Your sheer determination, willpower, rekindled skills, fade and nerve in your pursuit for victory yet again is legendary. Hashtag incredible. He's right about that. He's right because nobody did see that happening ever again. Not even Tiger himself. Tiger after the round said, quote, I was beyond playing. I couldn't sit. I couldn't walk. I couldn't lay down without feeling the pain in my back and my leg. This is how the rest of my life is going to be. It's going to be a tough rest of my life, end quote. See, that's the thing. It sure looked that way, didn't it? But he turned it around. And as this year went on, it became more and more clear that it was only a matter of time before he did get that first win. He had the driver back. He had the putter back. You red-shirted bros get absolutely zero credit for calling that shot. This guy was on the verge of breaking through. We could all see that, and he did. And it's impressive. I'm not saying it's not. It's a remarkable comeback. But let's not let the emotion of yesterday get us too carried away. Let's pump the brakes just a little bit on the greatest comeback in the history of the world. Because once again... It might not even be the greatest comeback in the history of golf. This is still not Ben Hogan getting hit by a bus and then coming back. This isn't Tiger coming back from running his rig into a fire hydrant and then a tree. Or a tree and then a fire hydrant. And then going to sleep in the street. He made that comeback already. He already was the best in the world again in 2013. But then it all fell apart again. He came back from that. Credit for that. I'll finish my thoughts on that in a moment. Don't go anywhere. And my point about the comeback is this. He did come back. I did not see this comeback. I did not see Tiger Woods coming back and winning, much less competing. I didn't see it. But I just want to make the point again. And I think I'm the only one in the country making this point. This is not a comeback. This is not the best comeback in the history of golf. This is not Ben Hogan getting run over by a bus and coming back. It's not even Tiger coming back from slamming his rig into a fire hydrant. And then a tree. Or slamming his rig into a tree and then a fire hydrant. I'm never really sure what happened first. He already made that comeback. 
He had made that comeback before. Back when he was the best in the world again in 2013, but then it all fell apart for a second time. Now, since then, there were injuries, there were surgeries. Oh, and let's not forget about that really weird pick of him with the busted teeth in 2015. Remember that? People forget that. I'm still a little bit weird about that. Remember when he had that busted chiclet when he was on the ski mountain with Lindsey Vaughn? And when people were like, dude, how did you bust your chiclet? And he said a camera got too close and smashed into his grill. Oh, there was the DUI. There was that also. That might have been a cry for help. But also dangerous as hell. But he did come back. When it seemed nearly impossible, this guy somehow managed to come back and somehow managed to do it against one of the most talented fields he's ever played against. Listen, respect. Respect. Listen to what I'm saying. Respect. Read my lips. Respect. He's earned it. And he did earn it in one of the hardest ways possible. Back when this guy couldn't sit, back when this guy couldn't walk, he could have chucked it all in, but he didn't. I don't think anybody, given what his life had become, the joke that he had become, physically he was busted up, I don't think anybody would have blamed the cat if he retired to his mansions and his yacht and decided to make up for lost time with his kids, spend time with his family. I don't think anybody would have blamed the guy if he did that, but he didn't. He took the hard road back. He went through one embarrassing and painful round after another, and he made it. So respect, nothing but respect. He earned it, and I'm giving it to him right now. I'm not qualifying it. I'm saying it's still not the same as getting hit by a bus like Hogan, but respect. But I want to make one more point. If this guy didn't do that yesterday... If this guy was unable to finish yesterday, if he couldn't take that three-stroke lead and get into the clubhouse with that win, if that did not happen yesterday, that was never going to happen again. He was not going to win another major. He was not going to win another tournament, much less another major. But, but because he did, and now with this win, the fact that he did finish, I'd argue that, well, pretty much now anything is possible because he finished. But if he didn't, I don't think he would have won ever again. I think he would have been shattered, busted up in a totally different way. But he did. And that's the closest he has looked to the Tiger of old when he got out with a lead and choked everybody out. Haven't seen that in a long time. Bobby Wilder is my guest. Bobby, it's so good to have you on. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Jim, great to be with you. Please go ahead and rack me for being late. I apologize. Now you got it. I'll do that for you, Coach. Listen, no problems. You know, roughly an hour after the game, you said the win still had not yet sunk in now that you've had a little more time. How does it feel to know that you and ODU beat number 13 Virginia Tech 49-35? Has it sunk in yet? It, it definitely has now, Jim, because you're not, you're not thinking about the magnitude of, of the game until it's over and you've had people telling you that you uh, – that, that you were part of one of the biggest upsets, if not the biggest upset in college football history. And it was it was an in-state game, Jim. And I don't know how many people are aware of this. We don't have professional sports in Virginia, so Virginia Tech football is it. Virginia Tech football is the biggest thing uh, in the state sports-wise. And for Old Dominion, a program that we're, we're celebrating our 10th year right now, Virginia Tech's played for 124 years. This is our 10th year this was a really big deal to not only get this win over number 13, but to have it be Virginia Tech and to have it be on our campus was a probably the biggest 
moment in the history of Old Dominion University. Bobby Wilder joining us. Bobby, it's not just a win. It's how you did it. I mean, you didn't just beat Virginia Tech. You dominated them with 632 yards, the most that a Bud Foster defense has ever allowed. And you did it with a backup quarterback coming off the bench to throw for nearly 500 yards. Exactly how did this happen? How do you explain that? Yeah, the, the I can tell you, Jim, we, we put together – a game plan against what we knew would be a lot of press man coverages to specific formations. And we have two fifth-year wide receivers, Jonathan Duhart, Travis Fulgham, that are both NFL prospects. We put them both on the outside in these specific formations where we knew it would be man coverage. And they had a redshirt freshman corner and a sophomore corner who were both excellent players. They played extremely good football against Florida State uh, in the first week, and we said this has got to be our opportunity to win. We have to win these matchups. And I talked to both of those players in front of the entire team and said to Travis and Jonathan, this has got to be your week. And then um, our starting quarterback, Stevie Williams, went the first series, and then our backup, Blake LaRussa, came in the second. And Blake LaRussa's first pass, we're on our one-yard line. He throws a 30-yard strike versus man to Fulgham, and then we just went with him, and he stayed hot the entire game, Jim. He hit pass after pass against man coverage, and, and let's be honest, Jim, we didn't, we didn't stop them offensively. They're one of the best offenses in America. They had 600 yards, but we got so much momentum from our offense, and then the stadium was just getting louder and louder, and you could feel the anticipation of the football game, but that's really how it happened, Jim. We had two wideouts that both had big-time games and a quarterback that just caught fire. Old Dominion head football coach Bobby Wilder is my guest. Now, Bobby, you've said that to win a game like this, to pull something off like this, you've got to have a couple of things. Number one, belief. To really set the stage, folks have to understand, you came into this game as a 29-point underdog. The first three games of the season had not gone well. The program was 0-9 against Power 5 opponents, losing by an average margin of 28 points. Yet, Bobby, you and the players believed you could beat a very good Virginia Tech team. Where did the belief for that come from? How do you believe something like that? Well, we started off last Sunday, Jim, and you're right, we weren't feeling very good about ourselves. We had lost three games, but we had always one at Old Dominion. We've always had a winning program, and we started by talking about the anatomy of an upset. How does an upset happen? I went all the way back to the 1980 Olympic hockey team. We talked about different experiences, and the number one thing you, you have to believe in that you can do it, believe in the game plan, so we all work together on the game plan. How would we do this. Number two, you have to have something positive happen early in the game. Um, and we did. That Virginia Tech scored first, and then we answered. And all of a sudden, it's 7-7. Seven to seven, uh, And we didn't score against them last year. They beat us 38 to nothing in Blacksburg. So we just scored a touchdown. So that was a huge momentum for us. And then right before the half, Jim, our freshman corner, Geronda Hall, gets an interception, and we go 79 yards and score with four seconds left. Now it's 14-14 to 14 at the half. So Part two of that, something good happening, we said we have to go into halftime and be close. We were. Then part three was at the end of the third quarter, we've got to be within striking distance. Well, we were down 28-21. When you do that, then you put doubt in the other team and the opponents. So there was doubt on the other sideline. There was doubt in the Virginia Tech fan base that was there. How is this happening? How is Old Dominion with us? And then the last thing I said to him is you just got to cut it loose in the fourth quarter because you're playing for history. You're playing for the opportunity to say, I was the first to ever do everything you just mentioned. You're playing for the opportunity that 25 years from now when you come back with your family, 
I was on that team, and here's what happened in that game. And we just cut it loose in the fourth quarter. We outscored them 28-7 to for just an incredible historical win. It's an amazing thing to see, even from the outside. Bobby, let me finally ask you this. There's this awesome photo of you hugging your son, Derek, who is a linebacker on the team. What was going through you in that moment, and what did that mean to share it with him? That was It was just surreal, Jim. I didn't find him until probably 20 minutes after the game. I was in the student mosh pit having the time of my life, um, as were the other players and coaches. But when I finally got to Derek, we hugged, and, and I said to him, could you have ever imagined 12 years ago when we moved here? Because Derek was 10 years old when we moved here, and we didn't have football. I got hired to start the program. We didn't have any facilities. There was nothing here. It was trying to find an office, trying to hire staff, trying to recruit players. I said, did you ever imagine that you and I would be in this moment? And it was it was a really special moment, Jim. We hugged for probably, it, it seemed like five minutes. It was probably 60 seconds, but we both just took incredible satisfaction in what's happened to both of us over the last 12 years. What an amazing moment for you, Bobby. You, your family, the program, the fans, Old Dominion beating Virginia Tech was 13th ranked, 49-35, and they're back at it again on Saturday at ECU. Bobby, so good to have you on the show. Congrats on an amazing win. What a great moment, and thanks for sharing it with us. Oh, you got it, Jim. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Jason Kelsey is my guest. Jason, great to have you back. How are you? Jim, thanks for having me again. Dude, it is so good to have you back. Thanks for doing it. You're coming off a 2016 win, Jason, over the Colts on Sunday. It was Carson Wentz's return. So how does Victory Monday feel after a win like that? Well, it feels great uh, mentally and emotionally. You're a little banged up uh, after games like that. It was a grinder. Uh, really came down to the last. Well, it was good while it lasted. It was great to have Carson back out there, finally get him back out on the football field. Really happy for him. And, uh, you know, it's always good to close out games, close ones like that. Jason Kelsey joining us. We lost you for one moment, but you bounced back in. Yeah, in terms of Carson Wentz, Jason, there was a moment in the first half on third down when he spun out of the pocket, he got to the corner, he dove for a first down. So what did that tell you about his knee and the confidence he has in that knee? Well, I mean, man... We've seen stuff in practice and stuff like that all week and throughout the off season that he's been back and ready to go. But, uh, you know, that specific play uh, was such an incredible play, and it was really just put it back into our heads that this is the old guy. This is the same Carson Wentz that he was before this knee injury. Um, so, I mean, it was – I mean, that's what makes him a special player, the ability to extend plays, the ability to get outside of the pocket uh, and to make things happen on third down, in the red zone, things like that, has been uh, one of the reasons he's been so successful. And to see him be able to do that like he did before the injury, uh, I think everybody in that stadium was happy to see that. Jason Kelsey joining us. And then you guys go on a 17-play, 17-play, 75-yard drive that took 11 minutes and 18 seconds in the fourth quarter that was capped off by the eventual game-winning touchdown. So from an offensive line perspective, what's it like to be in a drive like that? And how much pride is there to be able to have such a long drive at such a key moment in a tough game like that? Yeah, I mean, that's huge. And I mean, Time of possession is a big deal, especially as the game starts winding down. And to be able to take that much time off the clock, put together a scoring drive to take the lead in the fourth quarter, um, you know, really mixing in the run and the pass, uh, you know, the coaches to continue to be, uh, you know, confident that we can get the job done. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, that's when you start really just building that confidence as an offense. You know, that's an incredible drive to be able to do right there at the end of the game. 
Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, we had some special plays by some guys in key moments, and uh, being able to handle it down the stretch like that is ultimately going to uh, determine, you know, how, mu- how many games this team wins and, uh, you know, where we go and how far we go this year. Eagles All-Pro Jason Kelsey is my guest. So let me ask you this. Coming off a Super Bowl win, how did you go about approaching this season? For instance, did you take the attitude that you're defending your title or is the mindset, we haven't done anything at all and we've got to go out and win it all over again? Yeah, a little bit of both. I think that you realize that, you know, you are a defending champion. Um, you know, but I think Malcolm Jenkins actually said a quote and that was, you know, kind of related perfectly. You know, you can be the defending champion, but this isn't like a, it's not a heavyweight, you know, title belt. You know, you're not, you don't hold that thing. You know, once you win the Super Bowl, you won the Super Bowl. The next season, everybody starts fresh. Everybody's 0 and 0, and it, and you got to restart the process all over again. Uh, you know that, that. Having said that, though, you know we're getting everybody's best. You know we're not going to sneak up on anybody this year. Uh, you know everybody knows what this team is capable of. Everybody knows the type of defensive players we have. Uh, you know the offensive line and the offensive players that we have, the quarterback that we have, um, or quarterbacks, if you will. Um, so I think that. You know, we knew that going into this season that we're going to get everybody's best, and um, you know, if we're going to if we're going to be there again at the end of the year, uh, you know, it's going to take that much more attention to detail, that much more focus, that much more work uh, to get it done a second time. Yeah, it's really interesting what you just said about quarterbacks, because of course you wouldn't be here without Nick Foles either. So, as an example, how different is it for you to be snapping to say Carson Wentz as opposed to snapping to Nick Foles? It's a little different. I mean. At the end of the day, it's it's largely the same task. You know, it's it's not that different, but there's little nuances. You know, you have little cadence things. You have uh, things that one guy might prefer over, um, you know, you know another. Uh, you know, Carson might want us to do this in this protection because he likes this route over here, uh, whereas you know Nick might want this in this uh, protection because he likes that route. Or, you know, they're going to check the different things because those guys each have the things that they like to do. Um, so I think that there's, there's little nuances like that that change, but ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're running the play that's called, doing what our responsibility is, and it's uh, largely the same task. Jason Kelsey joining us. You know, you and I spoke after the parade, and we talked about that absolutely amazing parade speech, and I know that your life changed a lot after the speech, where there were lots of opportunities for endorsements, charity events, attention, lots of things, when, you know, obviously you're never going to make it about you. I'm curious, what was that experience like for you to have everything change that quickly? Uh, it was definitely different, you know. I think that, um, you know, that wasn't the, the whole purpose of the speech, but, I mean, I think it, it just kind of uh, it naturally happened. And of course. Philadelphia was so energized after the Super Bowl and everything, uh, this entire off season has just been a culmination of, uh, you know, people stopping me everywhere I go uh, to tell me their experience from the Super Bowl. You know what, you know, stories of them growing up going to games at, uh, you know, Franklin Field or or the Vet or uh, watching games with their mom and dad growing up, and that they're no longer here to witness the first Super Bowl in Eagles history. And um, it's interactions like that that really. Uh, you know, ground you down to earth and make you realize how special this was for an entire community, an entire city of people. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to be a part of that, to say and the least. And then, Jason, one fan I want to ask you about in particular who it meant so much to is a 20-year-old named Ben 
who was on the autism spectrum, and he carried the Lombardi Trophy at the ring presentation and afterwards came up to you and asked if you liked roller coasters. He works at an amusement park and said that he could get you in there, and your response was, quote, I'm in. What do you remember about meeting Ben for the first time? What's he like? Uh, ben is a very energetic guy. Uh, he uh, has a lot of uh, positive energy. Um, and, I mean, he's, he's just a great dude. Uh, we hit it off at uh, the Eagles' uh, uh, Super Bowl ring uh, ceremony. And, um, you know, that's when he asked me if I wanted to go to the roller coasters. I said, I'm in. And we ended up going to Dorney Park and having a, a pretty fun day of it. It was actually easy. You know, ben, ben got me the VIP treatment. So we just kind of got on all the rides, no lines. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty fun day. Now, I know you hit just about every single ride, and you had lunch, so you had a great day. I mean, dude, what's it mean to you to be yeah. in a position where riding roller coasters and hanging out with somebody can have such a profound impact on their lives? What's that feel like for you? Um, you know, it's, you know, I think that you try to – that's one of the beautiful things about being in the public light is that – um, you know, not only do you play football and you, and you get to do what you love, but you also get to, you know, affect people and you get to uh, hopefully, um, you know, you know, bring joy to others. And, um, you know, Ben, obviously, on the spectrum, is a great guy. Uh, my, my wife happens to work with a lot of uh, special needs kids and stuff like that in the Lower Marion School District. And, um, you know, we've always kind of, uh, you know, had a soft heart for, you know, um, you know, people with uh, disabilities and stuff like that. But um, Ben's pretty high-functioning, so I don't want to say that he has a disability or anything. He's an awesome guy. But um, to have positive impact on, you know, communities, different people, um, it, it really makes you appreciate, uh, you know, one of the great things that football does and one of the things that uh, – one of the some of the great stuff that you can bring to a community and uh, to different people. Jason Kelsey, my guest. Jason, take your time with this, but I want to point out, as we've discussed in the past, you are a man of many talents, from football to the orchestra, but you're also a poet, and you're working with Old Spice and their new Old Spice Beard Care Collection. It would be one thing just to plug the product, but I know you've written a pair of poems about beards. Is there any chance that you could share either one or both of them right now? Yes. Yeah. No, I'll give you, I, I can give you, I can give you a couple poems from the book. Yes. Um, yeah. The, so the, this is all about old spice beard care collection. It's, uh, available exclusively on amazon.com. Uh, but the book comes with, uh, with the packet as well. I guess I'll give you this first one. Do it. It's all about delivery. Knock, knock. Who's there? Your beard collection. My what? Where? Amazon. <laughs> that one's a little weak. I, I mean, it's good. No, man, I like it. Let me give you the next one. Let me it give you it the is all about one, the man. delivery. You I like it. Judge me, Jim. Hey, no, I see what you did there, Jason. It's all about the delivery. I see exactly what you did there. Go ahead. The man I nourished, I was. I dreamt a dream about a beard with sheen. What could it mean, this dreamy dream? Was it about my beard with sheen? Probably. What do you think, Jim? I like it. I like the first one better, but I like that one too. <laughs> How many are there in this book? Thank you. How many are there? Um, man, I don't have an exact number count. Um, it's a pretty thick book, though. It's comprised of uh, poems from me and my brother Travis, um, and uh, it's it's all it's all in good fun. I love it. Are you kidding? Product, to tell you the truth, uh, but it's it's 
We had some fun with it. Jason, I love it. I could, I could hear, I could listen to poetry like that all day long. Once again, if they're listening right now <laughs> and they want more information, where do they go to get it? And how do they find out more about the Old Spice Beard Care Collection? All right, so the Old Spice Beard Care Collection is available exclusively at Amazon.com. It's the first beard care collection Old Spice has ever been a part of. Um, and if you're looking for a soft, nourish, sculpted beard of your dreams, uh, go visit Amazon.com and uh, get the Old Spice Beard Care Collection. We are all looking for that. Jason Kelsey, my guest. Dude, anytime I can talk to you, Jason, I'm glad to do it. I'm happy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for doing that. Have a great week, and it's always good to run you down. Great poems. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. We go to Tyler in Shredmonton. Tyler, what's going on? Romy, can you hear me? Yes. You sound How's great. Going, what's man? up? I'm good. Hey, you should you should be a little bit easier on Hawk, right? I've been melting hearts and melting phone lines since 1990, my friend. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. Out of all the things that you do or say, nothing makes me self-reflect more than when you say your friends wouldn't call a radio show. So I got to thank you for that. And first, actually, I do got to send a sincere thank you to you and your team over there. Uh, I received that Masterville smoker in the mail on Friday, and I can imagine shipping something to Edmonton ain't exactly cheap, so I want to thank you for that. You know, I know you're probably thinking it would have been easier to easier and cheaper to deliver one to Vic, but that guy's 10 phone calls couldn't even beat one of my emails. And besides, who better to send a smoker to than me, right? I mean, we already talked about this. You guys are always coming in with your straight-fire moose smack. But did you fat asses even realize that moose meat is the leanest meat on the planet? Literally, Romy, that's a fact. Moose meat has virtually no fat in it. And that's what we eat up here. You don't get no eight-pack by eating like Phil Mickelson, all right? When you eat like Phil, you play like Phil. What did that guy even finish, like plus 20? God, I hate that guy. And by the way, just because I'm the CEO of the Tiger Honk Nation doesn't mean I'm going to come in here and embarrass myself. I'm not like Cleveland morons that called in crying when the Cavs won or like that Browns friend from last Friday. And speaking of that guy, I can guarantee that guy has another winless streak that parallels the Browns' old winless streak. And you can't wash away those kind of streaks with Bud Light Orange. Bud Light Orange. Only chokers drink Bud Light Orange. Only posers like Rory McIlroy drink Bud Light Orange. Only fat, deplorable losers like Phil drink Bud Light Orange. Now, Romy, I can kind of agree with you on some of your points. As Tiger Honks, we do need to pump the brakes a bit because this is only the beginning of what's going to be another magical run for the cat. I mean, really, this is only the start of the quest for 20 majors. Even us Honks need to get back in the rhythm and remember what it's like to be at the top of our game for years on end, staring down at losers like Phil Mickelson. So as CEO of Tiger Honk, Inc., I have a message to Honks everywhere. Party responsibly because we're just getting started. Thanks as always, Rome. I'm out. Broham in Buffalo. Rick, brother, what's going on? I really appreciate you letting me back in, Jim. I know it's only one game, but how great was it watching Josh Allen burst onto the NFL scene yesterday? We've been waiting over 20 years for our next franchise quarterback. And when Allen went Air Jordan for that first down, the wait officially ended. And let yesterday's game be a lesson for everyone. If you let your guard down against the city of Buffalo, you're going to get knocked the hell out. And watching the Patriots get their asses kicked last night made it the perfect football Sunday. Ain't enough about the hoodie being a defensive genius. This D-bag hasn't had a top-ten defense since pre-Spygate. 
Yeah, I know Patriot front runners. Just another huge coincidence. Watching the collapse of this deception-fueled dynasty might just be the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And maybe it is time to retire, baby Gronk. Because you sure as hell ain't playing good football anymore. Go fulfill your lifelong dream of joining the WWE, you meathead. You'll fit in perfectly with the rest of those roided-up imbeciles. War, nobody circling the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. On War, Eldrick Woods. Was it the cream or the clear this time around, you friggin' cheater? Thanks for the vine, Jim. You like that? You like that? Good night now! You know what they don't tell you about magic carpets? It's freezing up here. I'd rather be down there in my car saving on tolls while earning toll perks rewards thanks to my toll tag. This thing? Zero rewards. Fly over to GetMyTollTag.com for savings and more.